podcast where myself and other women discuss the seen and unseen challenges and biases that women and girls face on a daily basis and how women in business are working towards changing this narrative. Hello everybody. Today I am talking to Ellie Stone, who is the Head of Fundraising and Communication at Girl Friendly Society. Welcome Ellie. Hello. It's so lovely to have you here and hear more about what you do in Girl Friendly Society and the impact you're having on girls. Thanks, it's good to be here. What's involved in the fundraising side of Girl Friendly Society? Yeah, I can tell you a bit about that. I suppose understanding what our organisation does um, will help explain what we fundraise for. <laughs> so we, we're a group that aims to help girls and young women thrive, feel free to be who they are, feel proud of who they are. And we do this through weekly, it's essentially a youth group, but the groups, perhaps unlike some other organisations that focus on building self-esteem and things like that in young women, they start from a much younger age. So we know that girls are fairly confident and happy until around the age of 11. And then it takes this big nosedive, which is probably roughly in line with going to secondary school and hormones and all those horrendous things. And there are quite a lot of organisations that focus on helping girls kind of after they get there. And what GFS is really all about is saying, well, actually... What can we do to help girls before that big drop off? And what foundations can we build that will help prepare them for those challenges? We can't stop those challenges happening, but we can give them tools to help kind of manage them, if that makes sense. So yeah, they're weekly groups, they're all run by volunteers, and the kind of core elements of them are that they're for younger girls, they're a non-competitive environment, so perhaps unlike some other, not, don't want to make too many comparisons, but perhaps unlike somewhere like a dance class or a drama class or some other organisations with uh, maybe badges like swimming and things to achieve, there's no kind of formal achievement structure at GFS and it's the volunteers are there purely to make the girls have a nice time and feel good about themselves. That might sound a bit airy-fairy, but it's not. It's, it's really, really powerful that you can't fail at GFS compared to all the pressure of school or if you're, you know, working in a dance class and you're good enough so they stick you at the back and all that sort of thing. That's what our groups do, essentially. And all of the activities we do at the groups, <laughs> we sometimes call it at like feminism by stealth <laughs> what our activities do are build kind of what we think of as six key competencies that they almost don't realize they're doing sometimes so um things like building um the ability to speak up for themselves and feel good about who they are but we don't necessarily sit them down and say okay now speak up for yourself but the volunteers know that the activities are designed to achieve those things does that make any sense <laughs> Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I think it's a brilliant way to build confidence and encourage girls to speak up for themselves and have confidence in themselves as a whole. Because from my experience, I have seen girls kind of shy away more often. And with my daughters, for example, they Mm. find it hard to speak up, although they are getting better. My eight year old has definitely gained more confidence over the last year or so. But for example, 
example, we're organising a Christmas performance and neither of them want to have speaking parts. They want to be with their friends and they want to sing and they're actually all right to be on stage as long as they're with their friends. But I think that it's nice to have a gentle kind of encouragement so that they know that they're safe. And then if they change their mind, because I'm, I'm sure that some of the girls that you work with, when they start, really are adamant that they do not want to do that. But by the time that they've gone through it, they build those relationships as well and then they feel much more confident yeah totally and that kind of skills like speaking up for example is one of those skills that it can start small right so they tend to open the sessions with kind of like a circle time thing just a simple sit in circle and say what did you do this week how are you feeling today and even over a course of a couple of weeks you can see the girls go from I don't really want to say anything to to sharing and although that may not be a world changing thing that's starting to build the the muscle and the tool so that actually they've built that in that safe space with people who have got the time for them you know they're in a slightly smaller group there is it's a positive environment that no one's ever gonna laugh at them or anything like that and learning those skills in a safe space eventually prepares you to have the speaking part in the play if you want to doesn't it <laughs> yeah definitely yeah and I think obviously that then leads on to confidence in so many other areas as well because it's not just about the voice is it it's about knowing how to stand confidently and Mm. not being afraid to look someone in the eye when you're talking to them or knowing that there's somebody there who you can completely trust and like you say there's no one who's name calling or making the girls feel bad or anything that they know who they are is enough Mm, absolutely we kind of focus quite a lot as well on resilience because I think those two go hand in hand in a way if we can prepare the girls for the feeling of that didn't go how I hoped but it's okay it makes it easier to then take that chance and put yourself out there so um, I can try again if I have a setback is one of our kind of six goals that we're trying to move girls a little bit closer towards we're kind of focusing on resilience this term actually because I think that's something you need all your life don't you doesn't always go to plan but it's how you bounce back from it that matters yeah and when you've got that support in place when things don't go to plan then you're far more likely to keep going and Mm. it's just things like you know learning how to ride a bike and things if you fall off a bike but you don't have that support around then you're less likely to get back on it and try again but when you have people around you who are cheering you on and it doesn't matter because obviously all of us go through that and with this business I have gone through it so many times and had to build up a lot of resilience in myself but I'm really thankful that I've got that because Mm. I think also when when you're given the tools to really believe in yourself and know that it's going to be okay, then you can move on and try again. Or if you feel like maybe you just want to try something different instead as well, because having that resilience then teaches you that if something hasn't quite worked out, trying something new is absolutely okay. Mm, definitely. So you're speaking to a chronic quitter. <laughs> I, uh, I have traditionally been, I can't ride a bike at all. I I fell off and didn't get back on. <laughs> I didn't learn to drive. 
but in the last couple of years I've really kind of taken some time to say to myself is that you know you can't quit everything and uh so yeah I've got a driving test booked in quite soon and this job has taught me a lot about resilience I um didn't come from a fundraising background I was always in the comms half of the job and fundraising requires a lot of resilience you get loads and loads of no's along the way but because a lot of the principles we apply at our groups have made their way into how our staff are treated and it's even for me do you have don't care to say how many years old that knowing that support is there has made me someone who is able to try and if it doesn't go well say that's okay and know how to try again so yeah lifelong learning isn't it it definitely is and I'm totally with you on the bike front because I did learn to ride bike but when I was 11 the bike seat caught my coccyx and bent it oh my god and so I've always been really scared to ride a bike ever since I haven't ridden a bike for a long time but I'm determined not to pass that fear on to mm. daughters. I want them both to be able to ride because my my husband absolutely loves riding bikes and he'll go for like 200 kilometer bike rides in a day and even if he falls off and hurts himself he he just gets straight back on again mm. and I just feel like that is something that I want to instill in them both that yes they may fall off but actually I say quite often when you're learning to walk for example you don't just sit down again and think oh I'm never going to do that again just do it and mm. I feel like that really applies to so much in life but over time especially for girls and women we then think oh actually we shouldn't do that anymore and I just feel like actually if we can equip girls with these tools when they're trying to tie shoelaces and it doesn't work actually it doesn't matter because they can just continue to practice that over time and then they'll see their own achievements because it it doesn't have to be something huge for them to see how far they've come does it no absolutely sorry you asked me about fundraising didn't you and I completely didn't answer oh it's okay you were talking about like what girl-friendly society is which Mm. is obviously a fundamental conversation because people listening need to know but yeah the fundraising do you have regular people who pay subscriptions or we do it's a relatively small number GFS is actually a historic organization we're nearly 150 years old and it's an organization that at one time was enormous in every village and city and town and multiple places and perhaps over the years it kind of shrunk a little bit and so I'm part of a team who's working on the building it back up again a bit so when because we're not perhaps very well recognized I do quite often speak to people go oh I was in GFS when I was younger but it's not kind of a household name organization so although we do have donors that's not where the majority of our income comes from at the moment that's typically working with either grant makers so for example I'm trying to make this um accessible to to someone with non-specific knowledge but you know um like the national lottery gives out money to charities so people who give you money to deliver certain bits of work and also um corporate partners who you know like what we do and want to support through their CSR team or fundraising for we've got some people running the London Landmarks Half and things like that so yeah it's a bit of a mixture of things at the moment but the fundraising is really important for us because all of our groups are in areas of need so perhaps where families may find some traditional after-school activities less accessible perhaps the cost is a bit prohibitive and our groups are really structured in such a way that that's not an issue so they're kind of averagely two pounds a week you only pay week by week so there's not that big upfront cost 
cost at the start, we've widely publicised that if a fee is a barrier, you don't have to pay it. And that's why that kind of fundraising element to our funds don't come from the families that we work with. They come from fundraising. Oh, yeah, that's I think that's really good that, that it is accessible. And uh, is there a way of like sponsoring a child? We know how much it costs for a girl to attend sessions and you can make it, you can sign up to give a regular donation that kind of covers that cost. So do you think it helps the fact that you are such a well-established organisation? Um, yeah, I think we've got an amazing history and there's so much to draw on. So GFS was founded by an incredible woman uh, in 1875 called Mary Townsend. And the thing she saw was lots and lots of young women, sort of late teens maybe, moving from, it was during the Industrial Revolution. They were moving from small towns and villages to the big cities on their own without kind of a support network around them. And she said, that's no good. And kind of started this network of women who wanted to support girls and young women in that transition and although what we do is slightly different now the actual core of it and the ethos and what we think is important stays the same essentially it's about women supporting girls and young women who need them and that's really cool it's quite a special thing to work in an organization with everyone who's got that same motivation and I work with volunteers who have been with the organization for 60 years or more and it's an amazing thing to get to work with oh brilliant yeah 60 years is a long time <laughs> were they part of GFS when they were younger then yeah we do we have volunteers still who joined GFS at kind of like eight and are still volunteering when they can at 80 that's <laughs> amazing really yeah that is it's, it's I think that says such a huge amount about what you're doing that mm. when people continue to feel that passionate about the support that is given and obviously volunteers are invaluable and they keep these things things going which is essential I'd never heard of GFS I mean I'd done other things that were focused on girls as a child but not that and I don't know if that's just because where I grew up it wasn't necessarily needed as much but it's the kind of thing that I would absolutely love to send my daughters to because when we went to the festival of the girl we were there this weekend too (laughs) oh it would have been really nice to meet you in person they were so taken by everything and actually when they went to their forest school the next day they have circle time and that is something that has helped their confidence too and my eldest talked about it and what they did and she was telling everyone and I've always talked to them about women's rights and the suffragette movement and about girls in the world who still don't have that support and have to go to work from a young age or one of the things that I am quite passionate about is the fact that so many girls have to walk for miles to go and get clean water and I always tell my daughters about that because I feel like we take it for granted that we've got these taps with clean water and so I think when we're able to talk to them about what else is going on and how we can support each other because at the end of the day supporting each other is how we make these changes and when they're in these groups that's exactly what they're doing isn't it Mm, absolutely and I think not to use too big a word but I think what you just described is a really age-appropriate way of making that kind of women's empowerment intersectional by saying we've got these challenges but there are others with other additional challenges as well and while this may be difficult we've we've still got lots of privilege and things like that and understanding the experience of being a girl for all different kinds of people so yeah we've got clean money water or whatever that might be and it's an important part of the way GFS operates I suppose 
suppose one of the benefits of being a slightly smaller organization than we were before is that we've been able to be really agile as the conversations have changed in the last couple of years and start thinking about well how do we think about more than just one homogenous idea of a girl how do we help girls understand outside their own exact community and create opportunities for them to think about the wider picture and other intersecting identities and that's been a really exciting journey to be a part of I've been here for four years and a lot yeah we've kind of really been able to embrace that yeah it's so important because I think we naturally gravitate towards people who are similar to us and we used to go to a children's center when the girls were small and there were all sorts of different types of families and I felt that it was a brilliant way to introduce the girls to other types of families and and how other people live and things like that because they tend to be surrounded by families that are similar to us because I've got three sisters and we're all in heterosexual relationships and I think that in order for them to be able to feel confident in the world around them and be inclusive and make friends they need to be able to see people from other walks of life because otherwise it might be harder to accept and and you know sometimes they have got upset because they're like oh no you and you and daddy aren't going to split up are you and things like that and I, and I just say no we're very happy together but we're also friends with people who aren't necessarily and you know we're just very kind of understanding of, of everyone's situation and, and I just think like when they know about these things they can make friends and and broaden their horizons and so I love kind of having the conversations we, we've got a book about families as well and it shows all different types of families and that's mm. also helped them understand mm. I guess the more you can learn in a safe environment the less you have that fear reaction if you kind of come across something you're not familiar with in an unexpected circumstance and that kind of lends itself to reacting in a way that is more positive doesn't it yeah definitely so what do you do regarding communication I'm not very kind of up with communication kind of <laughs> is it kind of like this yeah but so I suppose there's kind of two strands to what I would envisage how we do comms in this organization there's one strand that is about the groups and local profile so we've got a group in rush home in Manchester for example so we need to have a local profile there so that we can recruit the girls and we can recruit the volunteers and so that we've got partners in the local community who can help us deliver good things for the girls there so there's kind of the local element and making sure that that profile is up but there's also kind of a second strand to it that is perhaps more doing things like this which is raising the general awareness of GFS as an organization and hopefully you know when you build that profile attracting people who support the organization so whether that eventually is that we open a group in their area and then they become volunteers or they tell their friends about it or they say we love what you do and we're going to become fundraisers for you or they just remember our brand and then the next time they're in a room with someone that's relevant they go oh have you heard of GFS so there's kind of those two parts of the job I guess yeah the communication side sounds like it's doing really well and I think that when the conversation starts as well that also encourages people to do more research into it Mm. I wanted to ask with the girls who go to the groups are they encouraged to learn different life skills that can help them you know like there's been quite a lot of talk about things like coding and and stuff like that because obviously there's quite 
quite a lot of tech poverty. I've been learning more about this recently. Are they able to learn these skills? So if that's kind of the area that they'd like to pursue, they can build on it. Yeah, definitely. So something I really, really love about GFS is, so we've got this kind of central team, we've got this core, those kind of six soft skill statements that we're working them towards. So we give the group some sessions, we'll say to them, this is focused around this, resilience, for example, but we don't give them all of their sessions. So each group does completely different stuff depending on what the girls in that group need, what they're excited by, what they perhaps haven't had exposure to, what the specialisms of the volunteers might be. And generally speaking, that will tend to focus around stuff perhaps where women are underrepresented. So uh, we've got groups that are just mad for football and they do loads and loads of football stuff. We did some work with Avast recently, the tech firm, and they brought some of the girls from some of our London groups into their office for the day to do a children's coding workshop. And that was great because although, so our London groups are Hackney, Myland and Leighton Stone, you know, they're in the shadow of the city, but most of these girls have never been on the tube, never mind kind of going to these big corporate offices and then learning skills while they're there. It was a really positive experience for them, I think. So yeah, your original question was about kind of those skills. And yeah, they vary from place to place depending on what opportunities and passions they've got and things like that. But there's definitely a focus on that stuff that perhaps girls may not have opportunities to try before for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think when they see other girls maybe doing those skills, they might not have thought about it themselves, but they think, oh, actually, I like the idea of that. I want to have a go. I want to have a try. Mm -hmm. And I think navigating the tube is a lesson in itself (laughs) anyway, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. We've been practicing using the tube a lot more recently because obviously COVID, we didn't go to London for a long time. And all of us as a family just build up our confidence again to go because obviously so many things are happening within London that are all about girls and so many incredible people I've met online are from London and I just think if they can navigate going to a big city and learning those skills from a young age then that also helps set them up when Mm -hmm. they're older they'll be less likely to panic when they're trying to go from place to place. Yeah that's a really good point I grew up in London it's I've never really thought of it that way that how kind of overwhelming that might be if you're perhaps not on somewhere as big and busy and loud and noisy (laughs) and it's also interesting what you say about COVID there we've definitely noticed a difference particularly in the the very youngest girls we've worked with who perhaps have spent some quite formative years not doing a whole lot not speaking to people so much our volunteers have kind of come back and said we are really noticing the difference with those younger girls post-COVID so there's a big need there to kind of build up that definitely confidence and social skills have been a bit of a focus in the last it's been nearly a year since we've been back out in the world yeah those formative years I think continues to have such an impact on people in general because obviously some families are much more covid conscious than other families and particularly if any of these girls have lived with someone who's immune compromised and needs to be protected more then the fact that they're able to go to these groups I guess is making a big difference to the fact that they might have just had to be at home for however long and Mm. actually mixing with other people is a daunting experience Mm, absolutely definitely hearing a lot more reports about real social anxiety with young people now as well where perhaps they haven't been doing as much of that and it's kind of a real link with you know the general mental health crisis for young people young women as well but young people generally and those groups while they're not specialist mental health groups they do look out for well-being and help build those kind of things that give you 
positive well-being and perhaps can help catch uh, at the moment you have to be in complete crisis before you can get any support from the NHS they're completely overwhelmed and our groups are a really good safety net almost where they can be picking up on these things and maybe catching them a little bit earlier and say and recognizing well okay if anxiety is a problem we can start testing those in safe boundaries and things like that so yeah there's just a hugely difficult and complicated time to be a young woman and I'm so glad the groups are there to offer her some support in that way yeah it's such a important time to have that support as well Mm. because there's so many mixed messages on social media and majority of young girls have looked at social media and will see the idea of perfection and and have self-doubt and I think catching them from a young age to help them feel better about themselves I mean that's like what I'm working towards as well because someone I know asked me not to take a picture of her because she didn't have a filter and it really broke my heart because I thought that she was so young and particularly having two daughters myself I just never want to hear them say that ever I kind of feel like I'm really thankful that I never had that growing up but I've had confidence issues I think we all have but it isn't at the same level as it is now it's huge and then going from not seeing anyone in person and going seeing people in person and then feeling like maybe you see somebody and they just seem like they've got everything together or that these girls might have a friend that just kind of seems to be able to cope better with the transition and then they wonder why they're not coping with it and Mm. feel like there's something wrong with them or there's some kind of failure or something Mm. just being able to talk through it and say you know obviously there's a big difference to talking to people online because you can put your camera off you are at home or when you're out and about and you're actually mixing with people in person for some people that was hard before and now it's just become something that is much more of a challenge I suppose yeah definitely Social media is such a big beast, isn't it? It's hard to know where to start for a lot of people. Not many adults now know what it was like to grow up with social media or certainly not to the level we do at the moment. And so we don't know what it was like to be that age and have that influence. And I think a lot of volunteers definitely, I think we have our support, which is like more support and training on always how to talk about social media and their parents, if they love it. And I suppose knowing how to navigate in a healthy way, because I think we know now if we think, maybe even five years ago it might have been a no phones at groups type situation there's almost no point in trying to enforce that anymore so instead of saying no don't do it no social media no filters whatever it might be we kind of have to move towards saying okay these are part of life now part of the world we live in how can we use them healthily what conversations do we need to have regularly to remind girls that filters make us all feel like our natural face isn't okay you're not alone in feeling that way or we need to think about who we're following so we are following accounts that make us feel happy not accounts that make us feel sad right yeah that's a big scary thing I don't think anyone hopefully got got sorted yet but I think what's really good for us is having access to girls who tell us you know if we ask them they will tell us and I spoke to um, a girl in one of our groups in Liverpool the other day and she had trouble making friends at school and she was sort of saying to me GFS really is the only place I've really had friends and she said I think one of the 
reasons people are so unkind is TikTok and things like that. And it encourages just people being competitive. And she said, but also, I think she's nine. And I've recently been diagnosed with autism and following other girls on the internet with autism makes me feel less alone. It makes me feel less like no one knows how I feel. So there are really, really good things out there and figuring out how to just get to those ones and support young people to make good choices around that sort of stuff, I think is kind of what we're hearing girls say is the answer, I guess. Yeah, and with regards to things like neurodiversity, there's so many more girls are now being diagnosed because they're traditionally better at masking it. My daughters have a lot of friends who have autism. And even though it's been clear from a very young age, it takes a long time for the diagnosis to come through. But they're just all really understanding and supportive of each other and give each other that space if they need it and don't judge because they understand that actually when that person is struggling with something, they just need that time to have those feelings. And then once they've been able to think about how they're feeling and and really kind of don't like to use the word calm down but it takes some time to process and feel comfortable yeah, process. In themselves yeah yeah exactly they then just go back in play in the group and that's been really important for their development as well because mm. then they're just more understanding of how other people feel and how other people think and then they're and that's a useful skill for understanding everyone isn't it like we all everyone reacts different even where there is not neurodiversity we all perhaps need to understand sometimes okay that person needs a minute or okay that person's reacted that way and that's okay yeah definitely and things like going on the tube you meet all sorts of different types of people and someone might react in a way that you hadn't anticipated and being able to take a step back and think oh okay I'll let that person do what they need to do and then make sure that you kind of keep your own kind of safety net around you so that you Mm -hmm. don't necessarily absorb the feelings of someone else that's another thing that can affect confidence because you could easily think oh that person's reacting like that because of something that I do mm, and actually it's more about them and how they feel about things isn't it often yeah exactly yeah, I was just kind of thinking that how the next step from developing that understanding and empathy for others and something we really try and do at groups is then saying okay so now let's apply that same kindness and empathy and understanding to ourselves because girls can be so hard on themselves this wasn't perfect I didn't do that and we're always always using like, would you speak to a friend like that if your friend had done that would you tell them they were terrible I don't think you would so let's try and be friends to ourselves as much as others yeah that is such an important lesson isn't it because I can't remember how many thoughts it is that we have every day and a lot of those thoughts are not nice thoughts and I think that the way we perceive ourselves we naturally then project onto other people and so if we're feeling low and we're feeling like we're not good enough then we might find the things in someone else that we don't feel good enough about ourselves and we're not doing it necessarily to be mean to anybody but when we can kind of have that knowledge that actually the thoughts in my head majority of them are not true it's just me creating a narrative that is self-deprecating and actually Mm. I'm a good person I'm kind I have flaws but everybody has flaws like one of my things is everybody has blemishes everybody has scars everybody has 
lumps and bumps you know nobody has everything perfect it's like the whole Hollywood smile thing mm. it's so easy to think oh my teeth aren't perfect therefore I can't smile showing my mm. teeth I remember Kate Winslet recently said that she knew how many crow's feet she had around her eyes and the magazine or whatever she was in had tried to cut them out and she said no I know how many I've got and again I read somewhere recently that Victoria Beckham is really terrified when Harper gets the age that she wants to be on social media and I think it's brilliant that so many women in the spotlight are speaking up about it and showing this is what I look like normally this is what I look like when I've been filtered can you see the difference Mm. and my illustrator actually has granddaughters and she sat them down and went through the program on her computer to show exactly Mm. what you can do and I mean that would be brilliant if all girls could have access to that Mm. so they could see how social media works just being able to teach them that yes that person in that picture may look perfect Mm. but to get to that point it probably took them about three hours to get the hair done and another personal trainer (laughs) yeah exactly yeah just like you know that's also hair extensions eyelash extensions lighting there's so much that goes into it Exactly. I had a really, I guess for me, it was quite a powerful experience. I had been in this job maybe only a year or so. Part of my role in comms is getting together all of our promotional material. And we were opening a new group in Blythe, which is a seaside town in Northumberland. And it was for slightly older girls. I think we'd had some funding that said, we want you to work with girls a little bit older. And we didn't really have the photography of girls of that age. So I went and took some stock photography to do it. And the group opened and I was speaking to one of the volunteers after the launch. How was it? And she felt really, really good. Although I do just want to say you know one of the girls actually said to me I wasn't going to come today because the girl on the poster wasn't like me and I've never used a bit of stock photography in any of our photography again I'd I'd rather have no photo than someone that girls don't recognize absolutely a straight no to any retouching so yeah we spend a lot of time going out to groups and getting genuine pictures of real girls because I just made me so sad to think that something I had done maybe a bit flippantly at work had had that impact on someone so yeah no ever brushing here. <laughs> yeah, I think no airbrushing is the best way forward to be honest. Um I was going to ask what's the youngest age that you have girls from? okay yeah Yeah. I I was just going to say that's really needed yeah I think sometimes people think that's a bit young but you know we're obviously not heavy-handed it's all kind of age appropriate for them and you you can't be too young because the day-to-day effects of gender stereotypes or gender inequality it's getting them from five so we have to be there counterbalancing them from the start as well yeah it's definitely uh, when my daughter was in reception class she would only wear a pretty dress because it was a no school uniform school but she went every day with this lovely satin kind of like flamenco style red dress that it was beautiful but it's completely impractical to have any kind of fun climbing or getting dirty or anything it had to be re-sewn several times because the the (laughs) sections had come away but that was her way of feeling confident she didn't think Mm. anyone would want to be friends with her unless she looked pretty and I mean she was only four at the time so Mm. it is definitely something Something that starts way too young. I mean, I was still running around naked all the time when I was four. So <laughs> I just, I had no care about how I looked or anything. And luckily, my youngest hasn't felt that way, but I've seen the impact it makes. And someone actually said to me that as long as
long as they're encouraged to express themselves by the time they get to like age seven or whatever, they are more likely to then have the confidence to say, oh, actually, I don't need to dress like that because now she's yeah. happy just going around in leggings and quite often they're covered in mud and things. And, and mm-hmm. that's partly because her group of friends are also covered in mud and don't have any judgment about it. But she has just learned to accept that actually she is beautiful without the dress Mm, that's a good turnaround isn't it I do think it's really important I think sometimes people misconstrue the idea of wanting to give girls choice to say girls shouldn't like princesses or shouldn't like dresses or shouldn't like pink all of those things are totally okay to like if you have been given all the options and that's what you've chosen no one choice is inherently better than the other as long as it's true to who you are and you've been in an environment that has allowed you to learn what what is true to you so yeah I don't think we need to throw the pink out or anything not every girl has to be into skateboarding ballet is great but only if that's your true expression of what you're excited about absolutely and my youngest did ballet absolutely loves it but she also loves dinosaurs and climbing and getting mucky so yeah definitely I'm not anti-pink I love pink (laughs) I started wearing pink pink. I know I wear pink a lot I am not anti at all but I just feel like a lot of the time especially when it comes to clothing it tends to be quite restrictive if Mm. they want to go climbing and they're wearing a dress obviously Mm that's not a suitable item of clothing but if they want to wear a dress and go and sit in a muddy puddle and just get covered in that doesn't matter Mm, yeah I agree completely well thank you so much for today it's been brilliant I've loved learning more about GFS and what you do and if anyone would like to support GFS and help with the fundraising please do get in touch and Ellie will guide you so thank you (laughs) yes thanks so much it's been really really good talking to you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Farting Feminist Podcast. My mission is to encourage all girls and women to know how incredible they truly are. You can find out more about the work I'm doing at www.aliceclaverstories.com. Please don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family.